Hello, Texans, and welcome to the city of Indianapolis, where we are broadcasting from this evening and will for the next three days as the NFL Scouting Combine is underway. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Bill O'Brien on the show in a minute or so, and we'll have Sage Rosenfels, former Texans quarterback. Plenty of opinions from him. We'll go behind enemy lines, visit with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, a little indie intel as well there. Johnny, how are you as we get rolling here with the Combine? Yeah, feeling... Uh, a little dicey, a little throat. Everybody's it hangs sick in here. There. It's going around. I, I don't know. I woke up this morning. I was like, "Oh man!" It's I, called indie ailment. I thought, "Am I going to be able to make it today?" And I was like, "No, it's combine. Yeah, you got to play hurt. You've done it. You're here. You're you playing play hurt. Got to do it. Got to play hurt. I mean, I did take a flight yesterday, but I would have taken a bus to get here. I would have done the Deshaun thing right. to get here. Bill O'Brien's press conference up on HoustonTexans.com, all the highlights from it and on all the social media platforms. Your biggest takeaway from the press conference before we get to our conversation. Uh, that Brian Gain will be talking tomorrow yeah. about <laughs> potentially uh, some of the key free About agents. everything he didn't want to answer tonight. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's pretty much the way it goes. And I have a feeling that Brian will tomorrow, he will stand up and he will say these are business conversations that will stay between the team and the player. Yeah. And that's... You're not going to get much. I mean, you have to ask the question. There's no. Yeah. You got to ask, but you're not going to. You're not going to get much out of it. But um, I actually, we had a, had a great time uh, with Bill O'Brien. I thought we had a really good time. He was asked more kind of procedural stuff about the team and some of the coaches. But then with us, we got a chance to dive into the combine aspect, the draft aspect, and that was really fun. We did, and it sounded like this. <laughs> So what's it like to be here now as such a veteran coach? <laughs> you look around. You've been in this for a while. Uh, six six years. Yes. Going on six years. Yes. Are you guys tired of me yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer, isn't it? No, I, I, think, I think just for me – uh, you just you understand you understand the lay of the land a little bit better. You know where you need. To, it's really just the the process of it. You know where you need right. to be. You know weigh ins, have some other committee meetings. I have to go to things like that. But uh, it's it's really just understanding the routine relative to when you're here as a first time head coach. Everything's a little bit new to you, even though you've been here as an assistant. It's mm-hmm. different when you're a head coach. Coach, along those lines, have you changed much of the process, the way that you go about things, whether it's players, combine, how you. You, know, you streamline things a little bit more now that you've done it going on your sixth year? Have things changed much in this process? I would say I would say I try to, Johnny, as best that I can, I try to watch all of these guys, especially the guys we're going to interview, but really all all of the guys, I, I try to watch them on tape before I get here, which I in my first couple of years I was not able to do that just because of what was, you know, some of the duties I had in Houston. But yeah. um, the last couple of years I've been able to at least get a glimpse and then I'll go back and do more work because it's about a process, right? You know, you watch these guys on tape, and, and then you come to the combine, you see what they look like, how they compete, how they move around in underwear, basically. But uh, And then you go back, watch more tape, maybe go to their place and work them out, bring them into Houston. So I, I think the difference is – and then I think when I'm here, Johnny – I think I'll probably go down closer to the field to watch some of these guys work out instead of being up in the suite the whole time. How much does that matter to see these guys live? I mean, you've seen them on TV. You see what they look like on TV, how they play against Oklahoma or Alabama or whatever. But to actually see them live, how much does that matter? I think it's important. I think it's important to see, you know, the, the body type. I think it's important to see how they compete. It's important to see what type of conditioning level they are at relative to what they have to do here. I think it's very important. You know, I, th- I think every piece of the puzzle is important as you as you try to form your vision of the guy that you're going to draft. I think that's the, 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 that that's kind of what you realize when you're when you're here after years of being here. It's a process, and you're trying to put together a little puzzle. And how does this guy 
shape right. into what he's going to be for you possibly. Well, you mentioned the field level. Is that helping with the body type and also the yeah. interaction with the other guys, that kind of thing? Maybe maybe with certain positions, but more about just getting up closer to them and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, seeing how they move around from, from a distance is a little bit harder sometimes. Right. Got the binoculars and all that. But just I, I would say more than anything, just kind of switching it up and being down closer. And I won't do that the whole time because – Brian and I will meet up in the suite about things, but I try to maybe get down near the field a little bit. What can you tell us about the interviews, what those are like? Yeah. No, it's uh, interviews are great. I mean, it's only 15 minutes, so you have to use your time wisely. Uh, Brian starts off the interview with some, you know, some background questions, uh, does a great job with the player. Most of the guys that you're bringing in there, you know, are, are great guys. You don't, you, you're not bringing in any really questionable character guys right now because basically the scouts have done their work on that, their Mm -hmm. homework. And a lot of guys, they already saw at the senior bowl. And then I have a cut up of each player that we bring in. And so once Brian is done with his deal, I'll watch tape with the guy and just try to, you know, gauge his knowledge of his own system that he played in Mm -hmm. in college. Coach, one of the aspects of your 2018 team, and I know something that, you know, you and I have played on many teams that the locker room is massively important. I know it's only 15 minutes. But do you really – can you get a handle on how that guy – maybe not how he completely fits in, but you know that you bring him in the locker room, eventually he's going to be a good fit in that locker room as opposed to other guys you know, oh, wait a second, I don't think this guy's going to be a fit for our locker room because your locker room is going to be different than 31 other teams out there. That was one of the special aspects about this team was the locker room. How much can you gather from the interviews and just this whole process how these guys will fit in for I this think, locker room? I think when you're a first-time head coach, I think that's hard because you don't really know what type of locker room you have yet. But now, you know, going into your sixth year, you know what a good locker room looks like. And we've had a couple good locker rooms here. This one this past year was we had a really good locker room. And so I think relative to that, your knowledge of what you – there's no substitute for experience. So now you have – you know, your experience of what you think works, and then you meet a guy, and, you know, you, there's some in, instinct about it. There's some gut feel about the guy. Uh, you know, how does he shake your hand? How does he answer the questions? How articulate is he? Is he passionate about what he does? Uh, you know, you don't get the full picture maybe in the in the 15 minutes, but you get a pretty good starting picture, no doubt about it, and, and you're able to begin to make some decisions off of it. As a coach, it's got to be a tough time of year because you always want to know who's on my team, and you really don't know. You know right. the core. That's of what I was trying to say in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the free agency period—it's unpredictable. The yeah. draft, obviously, as well. That's that's another thing. It's kind of funny. I guess the theme when I sat down, you talked about six years and all that. You know, when you're there's so many things you don't know when you're starting out that you know now. Like this process takes forever. Yeah. Okay, so here are the guys that we would love to try to have back on our team, but they may not like what we offer them. Right. And they may want to go to the market and see what they're worth on the market. That's how it works. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about that. They're doing what's right for their families, you know, and, and we're trying to do what's right for the Houston Texans. You know, Brian can get into more of that with you, but, you know, so free agency takes a while, and then the draft, the process of the draft takes a while before you really boil it down to who you think you might be able to draft, you know. And that's the one thing as a, as a first-timer, you're like, you feel like you're in a rush. There's no rush. You've got to get it right. And so that's what we're trying to do. And we have a lot of good meetings. We communicate a lot. And, uh, you know, we'll get it right. Coach, how tough is this time of year for you? As you And you've talked about this a little bit. The business of football yeah. comes into play because you're very close with these players. Yeah. And you have such rapport with these players. But then all of a sudden, that business of football comes into play and it's like, Sometimes there's nothing you can do when a player yeah. decides to go somewhere else. How tough is that for you as their head coach? I think that's been tough for me, Johnny. I mean, that's always, you know, I think maybe other coaches probably deal with that maybe a little bit better than I do. I, I 
I have an emotional attachment to a lot of these guys because I just feel like in my own brain and my own heart that, you know, these, these guys have uh, laid it on the line for us, you know, especially the guys that have been with us, you know, all five years or four years. And then there's guys that you drafted, you know, that you developed and, you don't really want to see those guys go away. Yeah. You develop these players, you know, mm-hmm. but but you do you do accept the fact that they're trying to do what's best for their futures and their families, and they only have a short window to do that. And and then you're trying to do what's best for the Houston Texans and the city of Houston, and and you're trying to do what's best for your football team. And 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 it all goes into a, a model of hey, look, this is what we think our process should be, and this is what we believe in. These are the type of players we believe in, and let's see if we can build a team that way. We talked about not knowing exactly who's on the team, but you know your staff now, and yeah. we discussed them with you when you first hired everybody. But Carl Smith, for instance, I mean, I've talked to him, coach, and and just an always great guy, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know how you don't get trapped in these long football, yeah, he's football seen it all. history <laughs> conversations. We were talking about the Philadelphia Stars. Yeah. He was coaching special teams for them under Jim Moore. I mean, Chuck he Fusina, back. he yes. coached yeah. Chuck. Fusina. Penn State. I was like, God, you're old, Carl. <laughs> That's amazing, though, when you think about the quarterbacks and and yeah. just the football history that he has. Yeah, the knowledge. He and I think that was a that was a lot of the thought process uh, that I had in bringing him in. Mm-hmm. I felt like uh, you know we had a really sharp younger coach in Tim, and uh, who who was going to do a great job. And then I, I wanted a little bit more experience on that side of the ball, guy that's been in different system, but has also been in this system. You know, he was in this system in Cleveland with Brian Dayball. And so, um, you, you know, I think we got the right guy. Now, there, there were, you know, obviously there was a fit there. You know, his son's on the staff and, you know, being a grandfather and all that. It's pretty, pretty cool deal for Carl to be able to, to do that. And so, you know, it wasn't just like we plucked him out of the air. There was a, there was a fit. And I think he, he has fit in really well with our staff. He's a very calm guy. He's the same guy every day. He's mm-hmm. got a great – way of, of telling things. He can boil things down and, and make it simple for you, and uh, I think he's going to be a great addition. Yeah, calming influence. That's what we've read a lot. Yes. Calming influence. He is a very calm guy. Oh, that's going to be good. Coach, last year you didn't have a pick until round three, mm-hmm. 68. I know you guys did a ton of work, and you, it wouldn't matter if you had 10 first-rounders or no first-rounders. You're going to do the same amount of work. Yeah. How cool is it to, again, have a first-rounder and then two second-rounders three picks in the top 55 yeah i mean when you don't have a first rounder it's tough to watch all those good players go off the board and you're, you're just sitting there and you know and you like you said you've done the work on all of these guys and you're like man that guy would have fit us well man that guy would you know but that's yeah. the way it is and so now having kind of more of a normal draft so to speak uh i think it's a good feeling i think it uh, it makes us feel like uh, and brian and his staff have done a great job you know and, and the coaches are catching up right now but makes us feel like we can really add some really good players to our team. I know you poured through your own game footage, but when do you start the process of getting ready to play the opponents next year? Because I know you start that very early, and yeah. you don't know who's on those teams really, but you know some of the key role players. Yeah, I think we start doing that more towards the April, May, you know, okay. maybe kind of post-draft, you know, mm-hmm. before we go on vacation. I mean, we're doing it. You know, we, we look at our own division all the time, so yeah. that take that out of the equation. We're always looking at – Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and Tennessee, right. and, and trying to because it's it's really all about the division, and but as relative to the other opponents that we're going to play, let's just say the Patriots. You know, we've played them a lot lately, so it's not like we need to spend every single day right now. There's other pri- more pri- more pressing issues, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll do our due diligence on on some opponents before we leave for vacation. No doubt about it. 
Well, it is the off season, so I know you've been busy, but you've had time to reconnect with the family. Yeah. All right, how's it going? And how's baseball going, Michael? Yeah. I saw you <laughs> at a game. Oh, you're and, gonna you're gonna talk about it? Well, I, I'm I'm Saint just St. Lawrence. I, yeah, I saw Michael pitch, and I wanted to ask you, what is it like being who you are, watching your kid on the mound? You I mean, saw where I was standing, <laughs> yeah. down the right field line. That's right. Away That's from the best everybody. Place. That's where you stand. Yeah, no I try what. to. You know, it's funny. It's a great question. I I I am nervous when he's pitching. Yeah. He's a good pitcher. And he, he loves is. it. He loves it. He, he he loves being on the mound, and he just loves being on the team. But I I get nervous. I mean, you know, baseball is an interesting deal. When you're out on that pitcher's mound, it's just you. You know, there's you're not really even there's nobody even snapping you the ball like a quarterback. You know, it's and so I try to stand down the right field line and and uh, you know root root as hard as I can without. Yeah. I try to stay away from the umpires because I know Johnny's about to ask me how I treat the umpires in, in Westview no, and the surrounding area. I know how you treat the umpires. I but it was good. That was a fun – because Devlin was there. You were yeah, there. Yeah. Your son on the team. And yeah. it gave me a couple bragging rights But because basketball was tough. St. Lawrence had a really good basketball team. Yeah. And, so I think they got us in basketball. We got you the other day in baseball. Saint so Vincent's. how tough is it to be dad versus coach? I mean, there, there are times where you want to – like, oh, you see something that maybe he should do. Like, how tough is it to be dad versus coach? Or are you yeah, both? I think, I, think that's, I think that is tough. I think my wife talks to me a lot about that. I, I don't – first of all, I, I rarely talk to him about, you know, what he should be doing technique-wise in baseball. Yeah. I, I would be remiss. To, I, I just can't do that. I mean, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know enough about the sport. But I do talk to him a lot about competing and being a good teammate yeah. and stuff like that. And sometimes – Colleen's like, you know, you're not talking to a guy on your team. You're talking to your son. And then so I'm like, I get it. I get it. But, but no, I, I try to be a dad. You know, I try to, I try to just encourage. And I just want him to be happy and have fun and make sure he gets good grades. I think that's the big thing. Coach, so. best of luck here at the combine. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. All right, that's your head coach, Bill O'Brien. Plenty more coming up on the show. What about Sage Rosenfels, former Texans quarterback, now a media guy? Plenty of opinions from him on Deshaun Watson, on quarterbacking around the NFL. That is next on Texans Radio. We continue from the NFL scouting combine here in Indy. Great to have you with us tonight. Well, John Harris and I visiting with Sage Rosenfels. Love catching up with Sage, now a member of the media but played for numerous teams, including, of course, the Texans, and had some big wins, has a winning record as a starter. Sage is an interesting guy. Joining us right now, Sage Rosenfels, who is, I think, no worse than a tie for second when we were doing best-liked former Texans quarterbacks. And I know you're not saying this just to butter Sage up. I'm not. Because this is you, true. you've told me this many, many times. We've done times. the research, Sage. Yes. It's true. I do go with butter, not margarine. Yeah. So I appreciate <laughs> that. And me being yes. just your second favorite uh, former <laughs> that's about what my career was, you know, usually in second place. So, you know, it's sort of something I'm used to. Well, T.J. Yates was the most well-liked former quarterback. Now, he had the – Well, and he's the guy who got the playoff win. Is yes, that, is that still and the it, only – that, no, 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 no. You have three playoff wins, interestingly enough. Yates, Osweiler, and, and Schaub. Schaub yeah, because Schaub won the second year. He beat the yeah. Bengals uh, in two. So I was actually at the uh, the playoff, the, the T.J. Yates home playoff win against the Bengals. As uh, a fan? As, as a fan, yeah. I, wow. I, I believe that was maybe two years after I left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, w- I feel like I was in New York at the time. Our season ended. We went 10-6. and six. Uh, and my son and I came down, uh, saw some old friends, and then he saw some old friends too, and went to that playoff game. And my son, 
Uh, you know, I played for five NFL teams. The Houston Texans are not even close his favorite team really? of wow. all those teams. And I don't know if it's because you know, he was a kindergartner at that time uh, and yeah. probably just sort of you know starting to pay attention. Somehow he's sort of a Longhorns fan too, which is <laughs> oh. an Iowa State guy drives me crazy. Oh boy. But yeah, he st- he does have that Texas uh, those sort of those Texas roots in his history. Not Miami. Not really Minnesota so much. Uh, that tech and Lutton the queso. Let me tell you, you can't find that queso uh, in in the upper Midwest. Nope. It's just not there. Uh, it's it's more of a cheese whiz nacho thing going on. <laughs> it's not uh, a true Houston queso. So that's that's one of the many things I miss about that uh, that, that great city. You will definitely find good dairy and good cheese. Having grown up in the state next to you in Wisconsin, there's plenty of that, but queso is a whole – that's a whole different – Yeah, like – It's a whole different animal. Yeah, you know, Wisconsin cheese and queso, like they're not even the same food group somehow, <laughs> but yet they're both cheese. <laughs> Sage, I know you obviously follow the Vikings. and We'll start there because we want to talk quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins, he signs the guaranteed contract. and I mean, that's all anybody can ever really – you know, three years, eight, four million. I mean, everybody can just rattle it off. How much do you think that played a role in the way that he played, good or bad, this year for the Vikings? Well, I think a, a couple things. One, everyone looks at this contract, $28 million a year, guaranteed for three years. Uh, comes out to what roughly $84 million, something like that, right? So I think $84 million. So, But, it, you know, I'm, I got my iPhone right here. I'm holding it up. All right? If there was one iPhone in the world, what's it worth? Right? I bought this for, I don't know, 800 bucks or something, whatever it was. I'm probably on some plan that I'm overpaying, but whatever it is. Yeah. It's a $1,000 phone. If there was one in the world, it would be a million-dollar phone, right? So it's supply and demand, right? right. And there, there's not really good quarterbacks that come up in free agency very often, and you don't know what you're going to get in the draft. So the Vikings went out, and they paid top dollar for a guy. So you overpay, right? It's yeah. sort of the way capitalism works within football, supply and demand. So you can't look at Kirk Cousins, though, as a $28 million talent, right? Mm-hmm. You look at him as an $18 million talent, to be honest, or a $20 million talent. He's a, probably somewhere in the middle of the league as far, in my opinion, uh, of a quarterback. He has to be in the right system. Deshaun Watson, I think he could be in a lot of systems and be successful. He can create if the offensive line's bad. I think he's a pretty good pocket passer when things are clean and he can just go out there and sort of execute the offense. He and Mahomes are sort of similar in that type of way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the big arm and creativity, but also can can pocket pass with, with, with a lot of, with with the best of them. Cousins is a part of an offense. He's not a guy you want to really put it on his shoulders. And even though he puts up stats. Uh, you know, like the team's putting it on his shoulders. He's due for over 4,000 yards, and Adam Thielen had nine straight games with over 100 yards and, and broke some records. But that's not one. That's not what the Vikings want. They don't right. want a quarterback that sets you know team records, right? right. This is a this is a defensive-minded team. Run the football. You know, no turnovers. Throw the ball 25, max 30 times a game. Let's win that way. 24 to 17, it's ugly, but it's a win, and you count them up, and they've got 11, and you go to the playoffs. Last year with John Filippo for 13 games, that was not their philosophy. It was put a lot on Kirk Cousins, as if he really was a $28 million talent, uh, like an Aaron Rodgers or a, uh, you know, a Drew Brees or a Peyton Manning or, or, yeah, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, those types of guys where this guy's going to carry us, Russell Wilson, this guy's going to carry us. If the Vikings are asking for Kirk Cousins to carry them, they're going to miss the playoffs again. What's it going to be like with Kubiak working in Minnesota? Perfect hire. 
really a perfect hire. And it's an interesting scenario because Kevin Stefanski is their new offensive coordinator. He's been in that facility. When I was there in 2009, after I got traded from Houston to Minnesota, he was our quality control coach. Right? He was like the youngest guy in the staff, uh, played football at Penn, very smart guy. His dad, actually, Eddie Stefanski, longtime general manager in the NBA. So he's been around sports his whole life. But he played football at, at Penn. Uh, so obviously he's a very smart guy. And I loved him as a quality control guy. But we would talk about at that time, man, this offense I just came from in Houston with Gary Kubiak and Kyle Shanahan. And, of course, I didn't bring up Matt LaFleur, who's now a head coach for Green Bay Packers, <laughs> but he was a quality control guy on that team as well. I mean, I love the play action, and we would take these average running backs and make them pretty good. You know, Ron Dane had some really good games, you know, and, and these other guys and, and, uh, uh, and sort of made me better than maybe other team, the other coach that made me in the past, or I could produce uh, more and and and, uh, and you know put up you know pretty decent numbers. And so when I got to Minnesota, I was like, man, this offense isn't like that. I really wish I could be back in that Gary Kubiak offense. And so with a guy like Kirk Cousins, it's a really good fit. Well, again, Stefanski. So ever since then, he's always sort of followed Kubiak's and Shanahan's offense, and always sort of at one point when he was going to be a coordinator, he wanted to run that style. He thought that was mm-hmm. a great style to make a quarterback be able to go out there just execute. Again, run the football, that play action, that bootleg stuff, get some easy completions, get him out of the pocket. It's great for a guy like Kirk Cousins because, you know, the longer he has the, the, the ball in his hands, it seems like catastrophes happen once or twice a game. And, if again, if you're not just straight dropping back or in shotgun on first down, you can have that balanced attack. And Kubiak and, and again, Kyle Shanahan, that same with Sean McVay, they have an ability to get guys wide open somehow. I don't know how they do it, but they know how to design these plays that would, you know, on, everyone knows Andre Johnson trying, we're trying to give him the ball, yet somehow he's still catching 120 balls and somehow he's completely completely wide open on some play action and Kevin Walters blocking a defensive end. Like how does, how does that even happen? Because they, they really understand like the real details and the real science of the game. And I think Kubiak will really add that to this Minnesota Vikings offense who two years ago in Pat Shermer, when they won 14 games, we're top five in the league in rushing. Last year, bottom three in the league in rushing. they got to get that rushing tack back up so they don't have to rely on Kirk's arm uh, for 45 throws a game. Sage Rosenfels joining us. What's it like to be in a game where you're down and you got to throw your way back into it? Because I remember Matt Schaub said specifically once, sometimes that's kind of enjoyable in a way because, all right, this is it. I mean, it, it, there's almost nothing to lose, so to speak. I mean, that's me saying that, not him. But I got that feeling because you were in some comeback situations. You had the great comeback against the Titans in 07. I know the Texans ultimately fell short of the eighth field oh, goal man. of the game by Rob the late Barones, Rob. rest yeah. in peace. Yes, rest in peace. But that was a heck of a comeback with four touchdown passes by you late. Four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. It's my, I believe, only at least positive NFL record. Maybe there's a negative one out there somewhere, like interceptions <laughs> in the first quarter or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was a tremendous game. And I, and then and and speaking of you know being behind and then having nothing to lose and come back, it's even better when Shab would get hurt. And he was the guy who got us behind. So now I really have nothing to lose because yeah. that wasn't my fault for the first half when we were down by you know, 21 going into the you're third the quarter. You're coming in. Yeah, I mean, I really got nothing to lose. So I, I will say this. You know, when you're behind by 17, you're behind by 21 or whatever it is, and you're late in the second half, you're going to get more simple coverages. Right. You know, you're not going to get all the blitzes. Defenses just want to keep the ball in front of them. So you're going to get a little more cover two and maybe a softer corner. And you just get completions. And that's my always thing. I always tell young quarterbacks, when you step on the field, Everyone wants to naturally take shots down the field and, and hit that home run ball, and everyone sees the great throw. Just get completions. Get the ball in those mm-hmm. guys' hands. I always thought the football for me as a quarterback, it's a hot potato. 
Like, listen, yeah. I ain't, it's not going to go anywhere. We ain't going to score touchdowns the longer that ball's in my hand. <laughs> if we can get it in Andre Johnson's hand or Jacoby Jones's hand or Owen yeah. Daniels' hand or Kevin Walter's hand, now we got a chance to do something. But the yeah. longer it's in my hand, bad things are probably <laughs> going to happen. So I was about, you know, getting completions, getting the ball out of my hands. That's just some of our conversation with Sage Rosenfels. We'll feature a lot more of that in the coming days here as he got way more in-depth on quarterbacking and other subjects as well. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Coming up next, enemy intel and then some, including AFC South opinions. It's on the way on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indy. Now, since we're here, it's the home team of the Combine, and Matt Taylor is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. John Harris and I visited with him earlier to discuss numerous things, including but not limited to some memories we would like to forget. (laughs) Visiting right now with the enemy, Matt Taylor, voice oh, no. of the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, how about that for the You're going to start it that way? Yeah, oh, I am. So you're going to start it? You guys are bitter. one of the best guys in the NFL right here. This is friends. the way you're going to start this? I'm bitter. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm actually jelly because you got on to the divisional round and obviously beat the Texans. You guys did. Uh, but uh, let's start here. Kansas City. I don't want to start with a bad thing for the Colts, Matt, but that was a rough afternoon. <laughs> oh, I no didn't doubt. see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I mean, they were giving up over five yards per rush. They were like, what, 30th in points allowed? And then they did to the Colts what, you know, hadn't been done since week 11 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, yeah, I mean, I thought the Colts were going to go in there and win that game. Everything pointed to at least the game being really competitive, and it just wasn't. The Colts got off to a really bad start in that game. They got down 14 to nothing. Uh, the Chiefs did to them what the Colts had done uh, to the other, you know, the two weeks prior to the Titans and, and the Texans in the playoffs. So it was uh, it was a weird game. Um, you know, the offensive line had a hard time uh, keeping rid of that penetration, which they had been so good at doing. So it was kind of a bizarro game for the mm-hmm. Colts, and unfortunately it was, uh, it was a season ender. Matt, I was at the Senior Bowl, and I talked to – Chris Ballard, who I've, I've known for a long time. So you don't, you're not the only one that can name drop, by the way, Mark. I can do it as well. I talked to I'm Chris for a long it, time, and it was, it was interesting because he mentioned something, and it kind of got in my – it kind of maybe told the story a little bit of the Texans too. I asked him about that game. He says, you know, John, he goes, I think we just ran out of gas. And it made a lot of sense. You guys started one and five. Yeah. You had no margin for error every single week. Right. Miami at home, you come from behind. The Giants, you come from behind. You have to beat us on the road. And you do that. Every game was a must win. There's no margin for error. And it felt like you got the divisional playoff run. In some sense, you're playing with house money. And I don't think the team relaxed or anything like that. But it just seemed like, and I think Chris was right, you guys ran out of gas. I think we ran out of gas against you guys the week before. But it felt like, and as he said, you guys just kind of the tank was empty. Yeah, and you just all, had done everything. And all week long, everybody was talking about the, the Chiefs' defense in the same vein I was, and so I think that was a little bit of a bulletin board yeah. material yeah. On, on their part. Not anything the Colts were saying, but, you know, the media and all the people talking about that game game going into it. But I think there's something to that because the Colts were 1-5, and, and then they let one slip away against the Jets in yeah. week six. You know, they kind of squandered that game, and then – after that, they had this coming-to-Jesus moment of players-only meeting in the locker room. And I, I don't know if that's the end-all, be-all. I think right. that's kind of overblown, but that was part of it. Guys got healthy, and let's be honest, the schedule kind of lightened up for the Colts. They took advantage yep. of some bad offenses, some not-so-good quarterbacks. I mean, the Colts only played two teams all year that had top-ten offenses, and in both those games they gave up over 30 points. 
So you know, you look at the defensive numbers and the, the strides the Colts took on that side of the ball, and it's it's admirable because the year before they were 30th, this year they were 10th in total defense, 11th in points. So they took a big jump, but they didn't play a lot of really good teams offensively. Yep. You know, they only they played the Patriots and the Chiefs, and uh, you know, in, in certain respects, those two teams kind of exposed the Colts. So. I think there's something to them kind of running out of gas. They won 9-10 to get in the playoffs. It was an emotional high beating the Texans on the road. That kind of was, you know, Frank Reich's um, signature moment of the season, you know, walking off the field saying the Colts are back, you know, turning the corner, you know, 4-12 and and drafting third overall and then, you know, having the season that they, they, that they turned in. Uh, I, I, I think – that, that Kansas City game was just one of those it just wasn't their day yep. and uh, they, they found out early plus it was it was a lot colder that day than anybody really anticipated not saying that's an excuse but just one of those days where the crowds amped up they got the number one overall seed it's really cold you're playing with house money like you alluded to John it, it was just uh, all things considered storm perfect storm sense. but all things considered an unbelie- unbelievable season because we had no idea how good the Colts were going to be for a lot of different reasons going into the year Matt Taylor voice of the Colts with us on Texans radio so what are the needs I know everyone asks you this but what are the chief needs for the Colts yeah, sorry I th- to use the word chief uh, <laughs> what are the primary needs primary the needs yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the biggest things are edge play and you know, on defense and then wide receiver and Frank, or excuse me, Chris Ballard's been pretty honest about that. You know, he said in January we have to address that, whether it's in free agency or the draft. Now, you guys know in free agency, those guys, you know, the good ones hardly ever hit the market because you know, yep. everybody needs them and not just the Colts. Um, so you're almost relocated to picking guys in the draft based off potential and hoping they turn into, you know, the D Fords and the Robert Mathises of the world two and three years down the road. Um, you know, the Colts, again, on defense, nobody really knew how good they were going to be, um, especially up front because they had a lot of, you know, nomad players, guys that really hadn't done it before outside of Jabal Sheard on one side. They drafted Kamoko Toure, but he was a rookie. The Colts had 38 sacks last year, which I think exceeded expectations from a total standpoint, but only 11 and a half of those sacks came off the edge. So they were getting a lot of linebacker sacks, some up-the-middle penetration. Uh, so they need somebody to compliment Sheard, who had five-and-a-half sacks last year. So that's big. And then I would say wide receiver because outside of T.Y. Hilton, you know, the Colts didn't have consistent play at wideout last year. Dontrell Emmons a free agent. Ryan Grant's a free agent. Chester Rogers is a restricted guy. Uh, so really you don't have that clear number two coming back. Deion Kane was injured last year. He tore his ACL in the preseason. So they're high on him. He can potentially come back. But but when, you know, August is probably the, the soonest. And what's he going to look like? So those are big questions. Um, I know the Colts got really great play out of their tight ends last year. Um, so they can bank on that going forward with Jack Doyle coming back and Eric Ebron, but they need that number two to complement T.Y. Matt, I think one of the, not ironic things, but it's just interesting to me, the Colts have about $100 million in cap room. Yet, last year, the biggest and best thing that Chris Ballard did, the draft was tremendous. But he basically finds Eric Ebron sitting on the top of the Walmart bargain basement DVD bin. He gets Danico. He brings the, the combo Autry. DVD. Yeah, yeah, he gets Danico Autry in, and you know, guys like Kenny Moore. Mm-hmm. Kenny Moore. I mean, you talk about sacks. I think Kenny Moore had about ten against us coming off the edge. He found value in players that 
other teams saw as not as valuable, and he turned them and the team turned them into something way more than they probably even expected. Right. Danico Autry, Kenny Moore. I, to me, that was kind of the story of the Colts team outside of, obviously, luck come back and in the rookie class. The bargain basement DVD bin section and those players they brought in, they were killers for us. And then Marcus Hunt turned into a player. I don't yeah. know where that came from. Pierre, Pierre Desir. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what Pierre Desir do, did late in the season twice against DeAndre Hopkins yeah, was nothing short of awesome. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, th- the problem that Chris is going to have this offseason because Dontrell Inman came in in the middle of the season and he established really good rapport and was yep. productive with Andrew Luck. You brought up Marcus Hunt. I mean, Marcus had, I think, 13 and a half tackles for loss, I think five sacks. Those those numbers blow what we were used to seeing out of Marcus out of the water. Yeah. I mean, in Cincinnati, he wasn't that guy. In his second year with the Colts, he just explodes, and yep. now he's a free agent. He's 32 years old. So what he, what he turned in last year is not indicative of what the back of his football card says, Absolutely. right? So yep. you have to weigh, okay, is, is Mark, is this just, is that, was that an aberration or is, can we expect that from Margus in year three in Indy if we extend him? Uh, so plus he's 32, same thing with Pierre Desir. He's 28. Uh, they have, uh, they have to make a decision on Najee good. You know, he's more of a complimentary player, but same type of thing. Mike Mitchell who played for the, uh, the veterans minimum last year. So Frank ha- or excuse me, Chris has to weigh, what do I do with these guys that were so big in establishing the culture yep. that we want to implement while they complement the younger guys we're trying to build around? Uh, how much do, How much is that worth versus what we're going to have to pay them as those guys try to cash in for the last time in their career? Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. What do you think is going to happen in Jacksonville at quarterback? I think I think they're going to get Foles, and then I think they're going to get a quarterback in the draft. Some people say they're going to trade up to get Kyler Murray. I don't. I don't God. think. I don't think that's a good idea. Mm. I don't think that's a good idea. I think Foles has proven that he is good enough to get you with that defense. And that's the thing you, you have to you have to say this about the Jacksonville Jaguars is they have to be aggressive in fixing this quarterback problem because their window of opportunity is right now. Yeah. Right, they're in a win now mode with all those guys they have on that side of the ball. Plus, they have a pretty decent offensive line. They got Fournette coming back, and I know there's a lot of drama there. But their window of opportunity is next year and maybe the year after that. So they need a quarterback right now, and I think Foles is good enough to get them nine, ten wins. Johnny and I were talking about how we talk about the jury being out on certain players who come into the league after two or three years. But you look at the quarterback situation when Mariota and Winston went one and two, and it feels like the jury's still out on them. So Mariota in Tennessee, obviously some really good things, but injuries and other factors. They've had winning seasons, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump the way they want. They had that playoff year in 17, but they have a winning season last year, unable to get to the postseason. And I think that speaks to how good the division's going to be next year, too. I mean, I don't think the Colts are going anywhere. The Texans aren't going to go anywhere. I mean, they're going to improve. I would suspect you guys know this a lot more than I do. Improve the offensive line. You got that right. <laughs> Maybe improve the secondary. Everything. Oh yeah. Which the Colts took advantage of. So, mm-hmm. but they've got all the right pieces. You know, maybe I don't know is is uh, is blue or excuse me, Bell a factor for you guys? Well, we're going to ask you ask you guys the same question. You guys got a lot more money, and it's interesting because knowing Chris, I would think that Le'Veon Bell isn't even a consideration. No. I wouldn't. I would think because they like Marlon Mack. 
Uh, Naeem Hines gives him some third down situations. Right. Jordan Wilkins gave him some good things. I would think Le'Veon Bell is not even the consideration. But I was on the we were on a plane. We were actually talking about this at dinner last night. Would we actually think about Le'Veon Bell? And I thought, you know, I never want to rule anything out. Antonio Brown, I'll rule out. Antonio Brown, there's no way. There's no way Antonio Brown would and come to the locker room. A lot of people think the opposite. But, but why do you say that, though? Just because for the same reason you just talked about the culture in the locker room. The yeah. culture in the locker room was and, a big thing for you guys. And for the culture, and I think it was that's a big why thing for us. you X out both of those guys because they – I mean, Chris is all about re-signing guys like Jack Doyle and Adam Vinatieri yeah. and Mark Glowinski, yeah. guys that do it the right way. And he's big on – that's sending a message to the, to the rest of the locker room. Right. Hey, if you want to get re-signed, if you want to be here, if you want to fit in with what we do, that's how you do it. You can point to those guys right. in terms of their character and how they demonstrate, you know, how they act on the field and off the field. So, th- yeah, the Colts just aren't to the point yet. And, and I, I talked about this with the veteran guys, the complimentary pieces. The, the Colts just aren't to the point yet where they can go out and spend big money in free agency, even though they've got the cap space to do it. They're just not to the point where they can go out and spend money on guys that don't fit in with what they're trying to build. Now, they might with with 17 and 18 and 19 draft classes, when those classes are two and three and four years in the league and they've been able to re-sign their own and develop those guys, if they get the core of the of the team through the draft the last couple of years set and in place, then they might be able to go out and bring in a guy that can take them over the top. But I just don't think they're there yet. Yeah, one one player away. Okay, right. yeah, um, absolutely, and I agree. And I think that's the way that the Texans would like to be as well. You draft and you develop your own, and then when you need a piece. It's been if proven. you've managed things well with your cap, then you can go out and do some things that you need to do as opposed to, and, and why is Pittsburgh in the situation it's in? Because last year they moved money around with Antonio Brown. They turned his salary into a bonus, which meant they extended out the cap hit. And now they're having, they're, I mean, they're going to move him, but it's going to cost a lot of money, not only in 2019, but also 2020. Do you think luck doesn't get enough love sometimes nationally considering how good he is? I know he's not – Altogether forgotten before the season, but like I said, not projected to do what he did, and he had an incredible campaign. And when we talk about the great quarterbacks in the league, you have the old guys, you have the young guys, and you have Luck, who's middle-aged in a quarterback <laughs> context. What do you think of that? I don't know. Define define love, because in Indianapolis, obviously, we're talking about right. him all the time. So how is he viewed in, in Houston? Well, we, huh. we he's a Houstonian, right? right? So we like that part. Uh, we don't like he's, the part that he's nah, wearing listen, the royal blue. Be, be honest. We, we hate Andrew Luck for those three hours. Every yeah. other minute of the day we love him because he's everything that you want. In an Except NFL when he's player. playing Jacksonville and you need Jacksonville to win. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. Listen, I mean, he, oh, yeah. I mean, that, those are interesting games, right, <laughs> where you hate both teams. Right. And when yeah. I say hate, you know how I sure. hate it in a healthy way. And then, you know, like when the Cowboys are playing any other AFC South team, yeah. go Cowboys, but I have to. I but I think to that end, and Matt, you know this, you've been around the game for a while, I think what ends up happening is the new, the new blood comes in, and that new blood comes in the form of Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Carson Wentz. And then Carson's had some issues with injuries and some of that. Thing. You know, Deshaun comes in. You know, that 2017 class, all three of them went to the Pro Bowl. So, you know, what's new and what's exciting? And then, of course, this last draft class has got – with five first-rounders, and they all started for their teams. And so everybody wants to look at that. Then they look at the old graybeards, and I think to Mark's point earlier, you know, Andrew's kind of kind of in the middle. You know, he's not the youngest guy in the yeah, league. He's 20, 28. He'll be 29 next year. No, he's not a graybeard yeah. in, yeah. in any way, shape, or form. So he's kind of in the middle, and I think it was good for him. I, th- I think the momentum that he gathered at the end of the year kind of got everybody back on board to say, hey, look, 
when the national media sits down going into the 2019 season and they start thinking about awards and different things and they don't want to give it back to Mahomes because that just seems like they're following, they're probably going to say MVP Andrew Luck. I would almost guarantee that's where they're going to go. I think, I think the residual of the residue of last year is going to mean that more people are going to be pointing at the Colts and pointing at Luck. Well, the thing, I mean, it's it's ironic that we're talking because I think the throw that impressed me the most all year was the throw that he put on T.Y. Hilton in Houston. Third down throw Yeah, I, I down think, the field. Yeah, it was right down the middle of the field. Uh, the Colts were down big in that game. Uh, that was the throw. That was the play that kind of got him back in the game. But I remember thinking to myself right when it happened, that's the best throw that I've seen Luck throw all year. Plus, mm. I don't know if he's able to put that on the money with the arm strength and the accuracy and just the, the willingness to attempt that pass in week three or four. Yeah. Like that's how far he exactly. came. So it, it was, it was, a, it was miraculous. Um, you know, the confidence that, that he grew throughout the season, not only in himself, but his arm and his shoulder. Um, and you just, again, you had no idea. I, I don't think luck had any idea what this season was going to be like, but um, he's not a look at me guy. He doesn't pound his chest, but the one thing that he will point to the feather in his cap He'll say, I was healthy all year. Yep. I didn't miss any practice. I mean, he was glowing during the one and five stretch when he was just talking about, yeah, today I get to go to a meeting. Today I get to go lift. Today yeah. I get to go to practice because all of that was taken away from him. He was in a pretty dark place uh, emotionally, spiritually, all of 2017 because all of the focus was on him. I mean, that's why he basically packed his bags and moved to the Netherlands for a month and a half because he just wanted to stay away from the spotlight. Uh, and get away from the team because he was focusing or the, the spotlight was focusing on him and not the club. Um, so for him to come back and, and display that he can be durable, he can be the same guy pre-injury, was a big, big thing for him. All right, one more for you, Matt. Indianapolis, what's it like to be the home team for the Combine? It's awesome. I live 10 minutes away. <laughs> it's, just, it's a straight shot south. Uh, I get to eat dinner with my wife, which I know is a big thing for you guys. Um, I get to play with my kid, I get to sleep in my own bed, and then I wake up and I come right back and hang out with you guys. So it's perfect. It best perfect. of both worlds. What's the best thing for outsiders visiting Indianapolis to see or visit or just pitch the city, give me the elevator version? Got you. All right, so if you're in town for three days, I you have to go to uh, – hopefully you can check out a Pacer game. Mm. So that's really cool. Uh, Great go, building. Go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys are big. It's at the track, right? It's at the track. Yeah. It's inside the track. Uh, all year long, they'll take you around the track mm. uh, in a van. Kiss the bricks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Got to. I've done it. Um, so check that out. Uh, there's steakhouses galore yeah. all over the place, That's which true. I know you guys are aware of. We're well aware. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Painfully aware. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the perfect little city. It's a it's a small big town if, yeah. if that makes sense um, or a big small town. Uh, it's perfect for the final four because everything's right here. It's compact. Yeah. Perfect for this. It, I, I'll I mean, you guys don't have to go outside. Exactly. You don't have to go outside. outside. Exactly. For the first time to get coffee exactly. at the at the good coffee place across the street. Okay. I'm like gorilla <laughs> not the warfare. Combine yeah, coffee. I don't yeah. want combine coffee. Combine coffee is not <laughs> in the <laughs> at this table. Yeah, don't do sure. the combine food. Matt, thanks a lot. My pleasure, guys.
There's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts. Now we had Bill O'Brien on. We had Sage Rosenfels on. We're going to have a good time tomorrow with Brian Gain on the program. HoustonTexans.com has plenty of coverage from the Combine. And check out all the social media platforms as well as we've been here all day. And we'll be here all week. Have a great night, everyone. And go Texans!